If you would grab a Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings 11 is where we will begin our time of study this morning. 1 Kings chapter 11. So good to see we have a number of visitors with us. We're happy that you're here. We want you to feel welcome. If there's anything we can do for you, we'd love to, for you to let us know about that. We'd love to be of service to you this morning. But thank you for visiting with us. We're happy to see you. I want to begin by reading in 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians, please don't go to 1 Corinthians, at least not right now, 1 Kings 11 and verse 9, 1 Kings 11 and verse 9. The text says, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. How does that happen? How do you have God appear to you twice and then ignore what he said? As we read that passage, is actually in Zach's class, that kind of got me thinking. We tend to think that if we had some kind of direct revelation from God, some kind of special experience, if I could put my hand in the print of the nails like Thomas got to, or if I could observe a miracle firsthand, if I could talk to an angel, if I could have something like that happen, then it would make faith easier for me. I wouldn't have as much trouble believing as I have. In fact, I probably wouldn't have much problem at all obeying God. But when you actually look at it, the truth is people have a pretty poor track record following up on these kinds of experiences. Like Solomon... They have the experience, and for a while, its intensity seems to do them good, and yet, as it's said of Solomon, they end up not obeying. So what I want to do for our time this morning is I want us to think for a few minutes about that situation, about what would happen if we could talk to God. Because it seems to me that there are people in the Bible who do have that opportunity, they talk to God or in some special way to a messenger of God who can speak for God to them. And yet, things don't really turn out the way we might expect. And many of them, like Solomon, don't end up doing what they're able to talk to God about. And so I want us to think about how that can affect you and me and particularly what it means for our faith today. So we're going to look at five stories this morning. You're going to need to get your Bible out. We're going to look at these five stories. And then we're just going to spend some time drawing conclusions from those five stories. The first is in Judges chapter 13. So let's turn over there, Judges 13. We're going to read here about the story of Manoah. Actually, it should be Manoah and Mrs. Manoah, his wife, whose name we don't know, in Judges chapter 13. Judges 13, I want to begin reading in verse 2. The text says, There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines." So, of course, this child that's to be born is Samson, but I don't want to focus on Samson right now. I want to focus on what happens with Manoah and his wife. Verse 6, then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. 
I did not ask where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So this is a pretty simple, straightforward passage. The angel comes and says to Manoah's wife, this is what's going to happen. You're going to conceive. Be careful about these rules because even while he's in your womb, he's a Nazarite. So you don't drink any wine and you don't drink any strong drink because that's what a Nazarite's vow was about. Because this child is to be special even from his womb. But interesting is that Manoah wants the angel to come back. And God actually says, okay. Verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. So I don't know if you noticed what happened there, but they ask for God to send the angel back, and God says, Okay, here's the angel. The angel comes back. And here's Manoah. He says, all right, are you the angel? And the angel says, yes. And Manoah says, oh, great. Okay, so tell us about this kid. What's his mission? What is this all about? And the angel says, be sure you do what I already told you. He wants more information. And what does he get? Absolutely nothing. He says simply, if you look again at verse 13, everything I told her, do it. So in other words, Manoah... I'm going to give you a repeat statement. Everything I said before, be sure you do it. And in fact, there is nothing new. They want to know the angel's name. The angel doesn't tell him his name. They want to know about Samson and what he's going to be like. He says nothing. All he says is, do what I already said. The second story is in Numbers chapter 22. Let's turn over to that. Numbers chapter 22. Let's talk a little bit about Balaam. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 22. Now, the setting here is that as the Israelites approach the land of Canaan, they've been wandering after coming out of Egypt. As they approach the land of Canaan, the king of Moab, whose name is Balak, don't be confused like all young children do when they learn the story between who's Balak and who's Balaam. Balak is the king who asks Balaam, who is a prophet, to come curse the people of Israel for him. Numbers 22 and verse 9. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, is sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. This is a pretty simple story, right? Balak wants Balaam, come curse the people for me. And God tells Balaam, no, they're blessed. You can't curse them. And so Balaam comes out and he says, sorry, guys, I can't come with you. God told me no. 
Verse 15. Once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. That's a great attitude, isn't it? Sorry, i got to do what God says. But, verse 19, So you two, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, verse 20, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princess of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you know that Balaam's donkey is going to be the only one who sees the angel in the way, and the donkey will start to talk as Balaam beats him. But I want you to notice what has happened in the story. Balaam knows what God wants. God already said, don't curse the people, they're blessed. But Balaam asks again, once the numbers of money get higher and higher and the honors get greater, Balaam wants the money, and he says, maybe God will change his mind. And God says, fine, you want to go? Go. But the anger of the Lord is kindled when he goes because Balaam already knows what God wants. And so, in fact, Balaam's greed is so strong, he doesn't even seem to notice when his donkey starts talking to him. You ever notice that in the story? He just talks right back. He wants to go because he wants the money. In fact, even after this mission fails, he's going to end up finding another way to get the money. So here's what I want you to see from that story. Balaam talks to God twice. And even though it seems like the message changes, it doesn't really change, does it? God's people are blessed, and he's not going to be able to curse them, even though he wants to. Let's look in 1 Samuel 28. I want to look at the third story. 1 Samuel 28. Let's talk a little bit about Saul. This is King Saul. So we come to 1 Samuel 28. This, these are the last days of Saul, and they are sad. Some time ago, some years back, Samuel the prophet had told Saul, the kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to your neighbor. And then after that point, which by the way was 1 Samuel 15, so we're talking about 13 chapters ago, a long time ago. From that point forward, Samuel the prophet never spoke to Saul again. And then Samuel dies... And Saul wants to talk to a prophet of God. God won't answer him. So, verse 4 of 1 Samuel 28. I'm sorry, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servant, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. All right, so Saul is so desperate from some assurance that he's willing to seek out a medium. He wants to call up Samuel from the dead and get God's message from the dead prophet. So verse 11 he goes into this medium, and the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, remember Samuel's dead, she sees Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. 
The woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will, will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So Saul actually gets to talk to dead Samuel. And what does he have to say? Did you notice what he had to say? Saul, why are you bothering me about this? You know what's happening. It's what I already told you was going to happen. And he kind of recounts. In fact, the wording is very similar. If you read in 1 Samuel 15, where he does not execute God's judgment on Amalek, it's the very same wording where he says, you didn't do this and God took the kingdom away from you. Now, guess what's happening? The kingdom's being taken away from you. What I said was going to happen is going to happen. Why are you bothering me about this? You know what's happening. The only new bit of information Saul learns from Samuel is that it's all going down tomorrow. That's the only new thing. So you should have seen this. The writing's been on the wall for years, Saul. Why are you so anxious about this? You knew what was going to happen. So Saul gets to hear a message from God twice. But again, it's the same message. And the message doesn't change from one time to the next, even though the setting certainly does. Let's go to 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13. Let's see our fourth story here. We're going to talk a little bit about the young prophet. Now, uh, fair warning, this story is strange. And I don't have all the answers to this story. In fact, I'm concerned that if I go into it this morning, it's going to come up in a Q&A in a couple of months. It is a strange story, but I do believe there's something we can glean from it here as we talk about this idea of talking to God. This is during the time of the divided kingdom when Jeroboam has gone in the northern kingdom and has set up the golden calves for Israel to worship there. And God tells a young prophet to go and condemn Jeroboam and his altar. And so he goes. 1 Kings 13 and verse 7. The king said to the man of God, this is the king, Jeroboam, said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I'll give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half your house, I will not go in with you and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. So he reveals he's been commanded by God, don't stay. And I believe this was about indicating how sinful Israel had become. You don't want to stay there. You don't want to eat there. You don't want to go by the same way you came there. You don't want to talk to people there. You go and you deliver your message and you get out of there. 
And so he tells the king, this is my mission. Well, then this strange older prophet who is from Israel, the northern part, takes an interest in him and he deceives him. In verse 15, the older prophet comes to him and says, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it, and the lion stood beside the body. Well, that's a sad and strange story. I always wonder what is the older prophet thinking, what is his motivation, because this just seems really, really mean. The older prophet lies to him and deceives him, but he does it by saying, hey, God talked to me too. Angel of the Lord came to me. So you got your message. Now I've got an update on your message. And the update says, hey, you're good. Stay and eat. Everything's fine. But the young prophet discovers that that was actually a lie, that that God's word had not changed, that what God said initially was what God expected the man to do, and that there wasn't this idea that God's going to suddenly totally reverse his message. He was wrong to think God had changed his mind. God's message, God's explanation had not changed. Let's look at one more story, Luke chapter 16, Luke 16. Let's talk about the rich man. <clears throat> now, this is a story that Jesus tells. And in the story Jesus is telling, there are two people, the rich man and Lazarus, who both die. And the rich man, of course, is callous to Lazarus, who is a beggar. He's not concerned about Lazarus's, Lazarus's plight. He does not help him or serve him. And Lazarus... Jesus says, after death is carried into Abraham's bosom by the angels where the rich man is in torment in Hades. But I want you to notice the conversation that the rich man has with Lazarus because it speaks to our same point about having an opportunity to talk to God, someone who speaks for God, or even this idea of someone beyond the grave. Luke 16 and verse 27. It says, he said, this is the rich man, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Abraham doesn't just say, when the man says, Hey, send Lazarus back to talk to my brothers. Abraham doesn't just say no. What he says is, they have Moses and the prophets. They already have a message from God. They know not to come to this place. And then the man argues with Abraham. No, 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 you don't understand, Father Abraham. You've missed it. 
They will believe if somebody goes back from the dead. Verse 31, Abraham says, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they won't hear the Bible, they won't hear the dead. A new revelation wouldn't change anything. It wouldn't change their response. It wouldn't change the message. The message is already there. Moses and the prophets are there. Let them hear them. And if not, then they won't hear, though one rises from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I push back against that. That's hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to accept that idea. But Abraham insists that's true, even when the rich man is arguing with him. He's saying there's no need for further warnings because further warnings would only be repetitions of what we already know. There you got five stories. I hope you notice that all of those stories are a little weird. They're some of the stranger stories in the Bible. They're not normal stories we would teach from, but I believe there are some common threads that will help us. And I want to take a minute to process all of this and think about what that teaches us about the idea if we had this opportunity, if we could see an angel like Manoah did and have a repeat visit, or if we could be like Balaam where we could go to God and hear God's response to our requests, or if we were like Saul, we could talk to somebody from beyond the grave who knew some things that we don't know, or if we like the young prophet who heard the word of God and then had other people telling us this is the word of God, what would it be like? What can we learn here? First of all, if we could talk to God, the message wouldn't change. If we had an opportunity right now to sit down with God and say, God, okay, so what do you think about this? Do we think there would be a different answer than what we already know? Because if we do, I think we're missing the point. God has revealed the message he wants to reveal. And you can use those stories to illustrate that. Manoah gets the same message that his wife got before him. Balaam gets the same message. Saul got the same message. The young prophet should have gotten the same message. The dead would bring back the same message. The message wouldn't change. And sometimes we think about that. Maybe God would explain himself in a way that fits me better, or maybe there's some questions I have that I'd like for him to answer, but it assumes that there would be something different. And I think we miss that. That if we could talk to God, there wouldn't be something different. He said what he wants to say. Even Job. Job desperately wanted to know why God allowed him to suffer the way he had. And you know, with all the talking God does, does to Job, we didn't talk about Job this morning, but God talks to Job directly. Do you know God never answers his question? Job is left with the same information he had before, only a deeper understanding of how powerful God is. Instead, Job's mission is the same. I need to accept good from God and worship and glorify him. And that also resonates. That idea that the message wouldn't change resonates with what the apostles say about their message. They bring a message, and then they say things like this. Even if we, meaning other apostles or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. That message is not going to be changed. And even if heavenly beings come and try to give you something different, don't listen to them. That's not true. That's not the way God works, where his message is constantly updating. 
Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered. We have what we need to know from God. It's been given. And so the question of would we learn something new and different seems to me to be beside the point. The message of the apostles is cling to what you know and follow it. The message wouldn't change. In fact, these passages that we've studied this morning, they make me wonder about our view of the Bible. Because there are lots of things that we wish we had more information about in the Bible. Don't you wish that? Don't you wish there were things, I wish we had some clues about this. What do you mean by that word? Why is this structured this way? What about Revelation? What's going on there? Okay, we have all these questions. Maybe the Bible is exactly what God wants it to be. Maybe the, the holes and the gaps that we see are the way God wants to communicate. Maybe there are things that that does for us that helps us. But the idea that we're missing something, that if we could just sit down with God for a minute, we could get it all straightened out, to me seems to be looking down on, disdaining the way he has revealed himself to us. Instead, it, it seems impressive to me that in all of these cases, the message doesn't change because that's the nature of God's message. Second, if we could talk to God, he would still expect obedience. The messages God reveals in these stories still are intended to bring repentance and obedience. Manoah and his wife still need to follow the instructions about the child. Balaam still needs to not go curse the people. Saul still needs to get his mind and heart right about the way he's disobeyed God. He has repenting to do. The young prophet still needs to go home and not stay and eat. The rich man's brothers still need to listen to Moses and the prophets. In fact, God expects us to have this same response when we read the Bible. That's what Jesus is teaching in the rich man's story. When we read the Bible, we should have the same response as if we're speaking to God. The response, you know the response that you see as you look at these instances where people are in awe of the angel, where people say, yes, sir, I'll go do that right now. That is the response God intends us to have whenever he speaks. And when we read that word, the response should be the same. The respect, the desire to obey, the humility, the refusal to argue, all of that is what God wants from us. Sometimes our view of time affects how we view that responsibility to obey. We, we understand that when something is said, there is an initial, immediate, I want to obey that. Have you ever done that with your kids, parents? Have you ever had given a command to your kids and then immediately, maybe before you finish the sentence, they do the opposite of what you just told them? And what do you say? I just told you that. You ever had that experience? Is that just my house? Okay, John's shaking his head. Maybe that's just in my house. We expect that, you know, maybe in time they might forget part of it. But if we just said it, I mean, what more can we do, right? So these stories show people who had some immediate confirmation. But they also show us that some people immediately disobeyed and ignored God, like Saul or like Balaam or like the young prophet. And in that short window, God says, yes, I really meant what I said. You really should have done what I told you, and now you will suffer. But God is also not like us. He is not like a person 
Because sometimes as a parent, I give commands and then I forget. And time passes or, or my kids forget or we just kind of forget that we had that whole battle. And we have to refresh that. God is not like that. It's not as if God says something and he's like, oh yeah, I forgot I said that. Instead, God expects us to obey the same way as when the command was fresh. He still expects obedience. So when Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you, Luke 6, 46, he still means that. It's not okay just because it's been 2,000 years since he said it. For people to treat him this way, or for you and me to say we're disciples and then completely ignore his teachings about wealth or about revenge or about forgiveness or just the things in the Sermon on the Mount generally, he still expects obedience. But I think what's really tough about this is that we sometimes think that obedience would be easier if we just had some explanations. I don't understand why I have to do this. And this is the way we work with other people. We're a lot more likely to do something someone else tells us if they can explain why it's important. And God doesn't always do that. Did you notice that why is not really a part of the discussions in these stories? The rich man is not concerned about why he's in torment. I think he knows why. He just wants out. The angel is not concerned about explaining why they need to do these things for this baby to Manoah and his wife. Balaam is not really concerned about why can't I go curse them? Why, why, why? Why can't I have this money? Now that may be because these people are in the presence of God or God's representative. They know better. But maybe at the end of the day, it's because when God says something, we're not always going to know why, but why doesn't really change it. That we still have an obligation to obey, even when we don't understand. God still expects obedience. So if we were to have that conversation, and we were to able to sit down with God, I'm not sure God would explain everything. But regardless of whether he did or did not, he would still expect obedience. And finally, if we could talk to God, our response would be the same as it is now. Luke 16, 31, that we just read. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Dead people could come back to life and we could still not believe. Our response would be the same. So if you ever ask the question, how would I respond if I were Thomas and I, I put my hand in the print of the nails? Which is a question I assume we've all asked. I know I've asked myself that. How would I respond? The answer is, I would respond the exact same way I do respond when I am Jacob and not Thomas. Or how would I respond if I could see an angel? And the answer is the same way you would respond when you can't. Exactly the same. Sometimes we forget that people walked next to Jesus and saw him perform amazing miracles and then conspired to get him killed. That the same people who saw Lazarus raised, some of them believed in Jesus and some of them went and told on the Pharisees so that he would be killed and then conspired to kill Lazarus too. Again. If Solomon can turn away after having Jehovah appear to him twice, and if people can see Jesus do miracles and raise the dead and not believe, 
if talking donkeys don't stop people, if one angel visit is insufficient, if talking to a dead man doesn't convince people, if they won't believe if someone rises from the dead, then we cannot assume that our failure in faith is due to some lack of information or lack of experience or lack of answers. That's not the problem. In fact, to me, that's putting the blame on God. As if God hasn't revealed himself enough, hasn't convinced me enough, he hasn't been clear enough. I just need a little more from you, God. I'm not sure I can handle it with this little information. It seems to me that we have to learn to have faith instead of assuming that somehow God's at fault and sometimes faith is a challenge. I'll tell you how this strikes me. For me, for many years, even in my preaching, I viewed the Bible as a book to study, a book that was full of little lessons, sort of... uh, uh, this is going to sound, I, I, I don't feel I was as, as irreverent as this sounds, but sort of like Aesop's fables. You read it, you learn something, it's a little helpful, something to think about. And then I would go and I would do what I wanted. Things changed for me. Things came alive for me, especially as I began to see that doing what I wanted was a dead end. And I saw the devastation that sin caused in my life and the lives of others. And I began to see that these things are real. They're not just little lessons, and they're not just made-up stories. But it seems to me that that kind of approach to Jesus would have also been possible if I walked beside him, if I saw his miracles. To be able to humor him nod at his good points, say amen when that Sermon on the Mount was done, and then go do what I wanted. I see people in the New Testament doing that. And it is so easy to look at them and say, boy, I can't believe, how did they not believe? I sure wouldn't be that way. If I were there, if I saw what they saw, I'd be different. our response would be the same as it is now. Now, I am sure that you have your own personal struggles with regard to faith and obedience to Jesus' will. I am simply saying that whatever that struggle is now would be no different then. And that if Solomon can see the Lord appear to him twice and still disobey, then it's not about talking to God as much as it is about obedience and faith. If we could talk to God, the message wouldn't change. He'd still expect obedience. Our response would be the same as it is now. My question for you is, does that need to change this morning? Is there something in your life that as you think about the reality of God and his word, the message that he's given to you in scripture, his expectations that challenge you to go deeper with him, Is there something that needs to change for you? Someday we will talk to God. And the question is, are you ready for that? Do you need to make a change in your life? Is there some way that we can help you? Please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.